two experts, one hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a podcast series featuring lively debate and opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to markets and businesses around the globe. Welcome to The Flip Side. My name is Jeff Melly. I'm the Global Head of Research at Barclays. I'm joined today by Deborah Lucas, Professor of Finance at the MIT Sloan School of Management and the Director of the MIT Golub Center for Finance and Policy. Barclays and MIT's Golub Center are co-hosting a conference on housing finance reform, where we're trying to discuss all of the potential future avenues for rethinking how housing finance in the United States works. And I'm really excited to have Debbie join me today to talk about some key issues in housing finance reform. Thank you, Jeff, for having me to talk about a topic that is very close to my heart and research interests. Um, just to give you a sense of my background on this, I've been working on the GSEs with a particular focus on their cost to taxpayers and options for reform since back in 2000, when I spent a year as the chief economist at the Congressional Budget Office. Since then, I've continued to work on them both inside and outside government and um, have testified several times before Congress on some of that work. So it's really a pleasure to be discussing those options with you here now. Yeah, agreed. I want to give a little bit of a backdrop on the GSEs, these government-sponsored enterprises that you mentioned. Those are colloquially known as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, these big institutions that buy mortgages from banks and other originators. They pool them into portfolios and then sell securities based on their portfolios to investors with a twist, which is that the GSEs guarantee the credit risk on those mortgages for a fee. So if someone defaults on their mortgage, then Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac makes good on those payments. And the GSEs are a big part of the mortgage market with a market share of nearly 50%. So I think in, in thinking about the GSEs and where they came from and what it means for future reforms, it's important to understand that they actually were born in the Great Depression when a lot of people were losing their houses. Um, Fannie Mae was started out as part of the government. It was privatized, turned into a GSE. And when it was privatized and in the 70s, it became clear that they were given a specific mission, which was to create liquidity in the mortgage market. And that was something very specific to the time, because at the time, banks had branch banking restrictions. There wasn't a national banking market. Mortgage rates varied a lot in different places. So the idea was we could create this national market that would provide liquidity for the mortgage market to create a more level playing field across different jurisdictions. I think one of the things we're going to talk about is the mission creep that has occurred since then that has made the GSEs so much more important um, in terms of being perceived as influencing the cost of mortgage financing directly rather than just the liquidity of the market. Yeah, that's right. They become very influential. Then you fast forward to the global financial crisis and the GSEs found themselves very much overextended. So they had large positions in mortgages, both through their guarantees as well as owning some mortgages outright. And obviously, as the U.S. housing market faltered, the GSE's position became very questionable. And actually, the U.S. government had to step in and put the entities into conservatorship, which effectively means that the U.S. government was making good on the GSE's debts and injecting capital in the institutions to keep them functioning. 
Right. And that's where they are right now. So it's important to understand that at the moment, the GSEs are still in conservatorship and they're backed by a government capital backstop, which makes their obligations essentially risk free. And now as we consider options for housing finance reform, many of those options just presume that we'll maintain the GSEs in something akin to either their current form or their prior form before being put into conservatorship and keep them as a central part of the housing finance infrastructure in the U.S.? Well, Jeff, that question has been much on the mind of policymakers and regulators really ever since the financial crisis, and um, not too much progress has been made. So I would put forth that, in fact, the U.S. housing market could be fine if the GSEs were essentially phased out and that, in fact, we would have a better, more robust housing finance market for it. Well, I think that's an interesting position. And I I guess I would describe myself as more skeptical that we could successfully divorce ourselves from these institutions after making them such a central part of housing finance for now nearly a century. Uh, But I think that's a that's a great sort of intro into this debate. And maybe I'll turn it over to you, Debbie, to talk about why it is you think the GSEs may be unnecessary. Right. Good. Thanks, Jeff. So I, I have to start out by saying that, of course, the political reality is that doing away with the GSEs is difficult, if not impossible. But I think that from a fundamental philosophical perspective, as well as a practical one, we really would benefit from transitioning to a system with much less reliance on the government in the U.S. housing market. So just to start with first principles, in our society, we generally trust banks and capital markets to be the best allocators of capital. And we do have the government stepping in in many ways. We have an SEC. We have all kinds of regulators of banks and financial institutions. We have subsidies for low-income housing. We step in to prevent fraud, protect consumers, and so forth. So I'm not arguing against any of those basic functions of government. But the question is, do we need the government to be essentially the only lender for middle-class mortgages, for the conforming mortgage market? Ever since the financial crisis, basically, the GSEs have been the largest segment of the U.S. capital market with their control over the conforming mortgage market. What's the problem with that? Well, I'm an economist, but really the number one problem I see with all of this is a political economy problem. As long as the GSEs are controlled by the federal government, as long as they're wards of the state, Everyone from advocates of higher subsidies for underserved population to mortgage borrowers to the large banks that intermediate securitizations of mortgage and credit risk, they all have an interest in the status quo. Um, So the GSE under the government really aren't market entities. They respond to political forces. And quite frankly, I think they're captured by these various special interests. So in short, at this moment and for the last over 10 years, they're really no longer government-sponsored enterprises. They're government enterprises. And why does that matter? 
Well, I think it has actually changed the status quo. And even if we wanted to, it would be extremely difficult to return the GSEs to where they were before, which was to function more or less as private enterprises, albeit with a very valuable government backstop. So I think a challenge that I have is that housing plays a very central role in the psychology of of taxpayers. So it's one thing to look at it as a financial market. And so in financial markets, we think banks and capital markets allocate capital and make the sort of necessary cold-hearted decisions. But housing, of course, is where where you live and losing your home is potentially one of the most traumatic things that could happen to, to a consumer. And I think that one reason why the GSEs have been allowed to play the, such a central role is that there's been a discomfort in leaving access to housing finance and to default experience or foreclosure, et cetera, strictly to the vagaries of the market. So there's there's a sense that you know the American dream is to own a home. And are we going to trust that the market forces by themselves are sufficient safeguard you know, for that sort of ideal? Um, or do we need a, a much more active role for government than in other markets like credit cards or autos or corporate bonds um, because of, of the centrality of housing to the way we think about the US citizens experience? Well, Jeff, those are all good points. And certainly housing is very much of the American dream. The question I have for you is why do we really need the GSEs in particular to do all the things that you're pointing to? First of all, in in the U.S., as I mentioned before, we have other ways of trying to make sure that there's access to mortgages, say, for low-income people, for first-time homebuyers. That's all done through the Federal Housing Administration, which is also part of the federal government. And its explicit mission is to make sure that those who would fall into the cracks of a private system would be served with the help of the U.S. government. However, for people who can qualify for conforming mortgages, which is the vast middle class of the country, there's no reason to think that the private market couldn't serve them. Houses are great collateral. They have observable value. You can borrow against them pretty easily. In another place um, I would urge you to look is the experience of other countries. We're unique in relying on entities like the GSEs for housing finance. In fact, in other societies, housing finance is provided largely through the banking system. And banks for all of history have in fact been lending to mortgage borrowers. So um, I, I don't actually feel like the GSEs are necessary to continue to make homeownership a possibility for most Americans. Another issue to consider is consistency of access to credit. And the COVID pandemic gave us a great sort of testing ground for that. So during the worst of the disruptions due to COVID, we saw access to credit impaired in a whole bunch of different markets. The corporate bond market was impaired. The municipal bond market was impaired. Jumbo mortgage market was impaired. Those are the mortgages that the GSEs don't buy. One market that wasn't impaired was the market for conforming loans. Those are the ones that the GSEs do purchase. And they weren't impaired because the GSEs were there, able to participate in the market the whole time. And I think there's something to be said for this consistency of access to credit, particularly given how important housing is to the American psyche. Now, in this case, the COVID disruptions really only lasted a couple of months. I think that was surprising at the time. People thought they could last quarters or even years. 
Yeah, so Jeff, that's those are good points and it is always valuable for governments, especially governments of rich countries to be able to come in and buffer big shocks. Not only did the government smooth things through the GSEs for home buyers, um, special facilities were created at the Federal Reserve that helped some of these other capital markets. But I think the issue is, do you want a standing facility that creates government subsidies to a particular subsector, large subsidies, all the time, in order to have the ability very infrequently to take rapid action. Um, so, you know, different people can have different views on what the answer to that is. My concern is that when you have these standing entities who are under huge pressure to never allow mortgage credit to become expensive, even when markets are overheating, you're doing several things. You're driving up the price of housing, which actually can make housing less affordable, not more affordable. Because when mortgage rates tend to be lower, people can bid higher on houses that pushes up the price of housing. So even though it feels like you're helping people by keeping the price of those mortgages low, in fact, you, be, you may be making the housing even less accessible um, to poorer people. Um, you're also creating a situation that when housing prices do start taking off, there's no breaks through the signals you get from mortgage interest rates to try to offset that bubble. Um, so, you know, whether that bubble bursts when the government is taking the housing risk or when the private sector is taking it, it's still costly to society for that bubble to have happened in the first place. And I think those bubbles are actually more likely when you have the GSEs being insensitive or more insensitive than the private sector would be to the conditions on the ground in the housing market. Okay, so on the one hand, I think the point you made about uh, having these standing facilities constantly intervening in markets just to provide stability in the handful of periods of stress is a good one. I mean, I can name distinct periods of stress, but they're measured in months over decades. And so it really is, I think, the the exception rather than the rule that that we would be worried about about market disruptions. Now, on the other hand, I, I'm not sure I'm as convinced about the private sector versus the government in terms of the procreation of bubbles. So let's think of housing as a specific, and to me, it may be a specific example where the ingredients for a bubble could be, could be stronger than in other markets. So the collateral itself can be influenced by the availability of financing. And during the run-up to the housing crisis, we saw actually the private sector doing a lot of innovation on the kinds of loans that were being made available, particularly to lower income uh, home buyers. So there were interest-only loans. There was loans with negative amortization as a way of trying to drive down the uh, uh, the monthly payment. There were arms as opposed to a traditional 30-year fixed. Some of these structures had some embedded leverage that maybe the underlying consumers didn't even fully understand. And I think that one could make an, an argument that the private sector willingness to experiment with these sort of loans and push the envelope regarding the kinds of loans they're willing to make, A, helped 
the collateral rise in price very rapidly, which was a big contributor to the bubble that actually burst, but actually that the GSEs were being dragged along in this process rather than leading it. So it seemed like the private sector might have been as at least as big, if not a bigger impetus for the last housing bubble that we did experience. <laughs> yes, I think that's going to be debated for decades and decades, and there isn't agreement in who was really the driver of the last housing bubble. Um, so I can I can certainly see both sides of the story. I'll tell you the narrative that has resonated with me, which is that the housing bubble, for one thing, they're very infrequent to have a big national housing bubble that basically hadn't happened. It had happened locally, but it hadn't happened nationally for decades and decades. But when it did happen, I think everyone was caught up in the frenzy. Home buyers, banks, everyone drank the Kool-Aid that prices were only going to go up and up and up. And so the private sector did come in very aggressively to make much more marginal loans than they normally would. And all of that was because for some reason there was this madness of crowds that prices would keep on going up. We can make riskier loans because prices are going to go up and it's not going to come back to bite us. Of course, that was wrong. Do I think that the government didn't drink the Kool-Aid, but the private sector did? Not really. So why did the GSEs not participate as much in that run-up? Well, it's because their charters basically don't allow them to make subprime loans. So I think that it's hard to say from that episode who had more irrational exuberance, the private or the public sector. But the fact is, if we want to restrict private institutions from making the riskier types of loans, we can do that. And our ability to do that is independent from the existence of the GSEs. Because in fact, we can have legislation that puts limits on loan to value that restricts the type of features that loans can have. So I don't think that the GSE's um, existence or not is so much the issue in terms of driving bubbles in the first place. And I guess you could also point out that they ended up in conservatorship, so they clearly got over their skis during the housing crisis, whether they, they, they were drinking the Kool-Aid, that clearly if they had completely avoided it, then they wouldn't have ended up in conservatorship in the first place. So um, there's got to be some merit there. Um, I, I have... This is maybe a more technical point, but but I think one that's interesting. The GSEs, as effectively as arms of the U.S. government today, issue uh, these mortgage-backed securities, these pools of mortgages, at extremely low rates. So they effectively are borrowing at rates very similar to uh, the U.S. government. And some uh, folks have argued that uh, as... Uh, the, the U.S. government as the sort of world's reserve currency, it has a special privilege and can borrow, you know, maybe maybe lower than another country would in the same set of circumstances at, at lower rates. I think it's also the case that these mortgage-backed securities at the, the GSEs issue are part of, you know, central bank reserve management globally. It's kind of considered a substitute almost for, for U.S. treasuries. Is there a sense in which we're passing that benefit through to home buyers, where if we just left it to banks to to issue mortgages, 
home buyers would lose this sort of access to this special privilege that the U.S. government has, and and therefore necessarily have to pay slightly higher rates. Yeah, Jeff, that's a really good point. Certainly, the fact that that mortgage borrowing is essentially going through the government market now is probably knocking off a few basis points from what borrowers have to pay for mortgage finance. Broadly, though, the question is, what should the U.S. government do with what's sometimes called its exorbitant privilege of being able to borrow at lower rates because we are a reserve currency for the world? So just a a few thoughts there, which is um, that value is value that should be going to the citizens of the United States, but exactly how it's allocated isn't so clear. It's not clear that we should just hand it to homeowners. Why not uh, provide the subsidy to small businesses that need financing or even large corporations? So, um, you know, the kind of Again, it's this question, do we really want to have these kind of large implicit subsidies going to housing through these systems that we've set up, or do we need to rethink exactly the ways we want to help housing, but to put a limit on it so that we can use these resources for other priorities as well? So I think what you're saying is that the GSEs, as they're currently structured, basically make that choice for us, right? That that in the, their current setting, we're choosing housing as the market that's receiving this subsidy. And by undoing the GSEs, maybe we could rethink it. You could still subsidize housing, but you would be doing it more explicitly and we would know exactly how much was being spent on it. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I also might add that, you know, with the huge run-up in federal debt, it's not clear how long this privilege is going to last. And certainly, I think a lot of economists don't think it's unlimited. So I think this issue of the U.S. being able to kind of costlessly issue enormous amounts of debt through the government isn't something that we can count on lasting forever. And so we want a housing finance system that doesn't necessarily have to depend on that. Well, that brings me to my strongest and unfortunately saddest argument in favor of the GSEs, which is that we've inherited this structure. It's part and parcel of mortgage finance in the United States at this point. And I'm not sure how we can undo it. There's certainly political barriers, but also from an economic standpoint, there's a risk of disruption to the housing finance market if we got it wrong. And I think that could have real consequences too. Well, Jeff, I'm glad we've circled back to a point where we're in full agreement. Um, I think there would be no way to get from the world we have to a world without the GSEs. And if we tried to, it would be a disaster. Um, But I do think there's policies, really very straightforward policies that would move us in the right directions. Really the easiest one is to freeze the conforming loan limit. And um, what that would do is it would over time as house prices rise, it would mean that fewer and fewer high-end houses would be qualified for the GSEs to buy. And um, that would have the effect of actually slowly bringing back more of the private sector. Right now, jumbo mortgages, which make up a pretty large fraction of the market, are in fact completely intermediated by banks in the private sector. And this would put more of the market into 
their hands. We could see how that went. We could raise the conforming limit again if things went bad. To your point about an emergency, there can be a temporary increase in what the GSEs can do. Um, so I think, in fact, I'm optimistic that we could move to a more privatized housing finance system and move away from such heavy reliance on the GSEs. You know, were that to happen, I think it would be important to keep in mind some of the subsidies that are built into the GSEs and their effect on specific types of homeowners. So for example, some of our recent research at Barclays shows that lower income Americans and particularly black Americans have benefited from the affordability targets in the GSEs and that homeownership in those populations would be lower, but for those targets. And I'd worry if we just scaled back the GSEs that we might simultaneously scale back some of those support mechanisms. Well, Jeff, there's another place where we're largely in agreement. Um, certainly, um, as I've argued throughout our conversation, there's a role for the government to um, help out less fortunate groups, but we do have a mechanism for that, the Federal Housing Administration. And the advantage of doing it there rather than in the GSEs is it's on budget, it's controlled by Congress, it's more transparent. So um, I actually think that a good direction to go would be to have a more transparent conversation about where we want to see the housing market go, how much help we want to give to different groups, but to move the GSEs and conforming mortgages more into the space of the private sector. Well, I want to thank Professor Lucas for joining me today. Thank you, Jeff. This was a great conversation about a topic that's important both for investors and for consumers. Any of our listeners who are interested in more details can read Housing Finance Reform, Addressing a Growing Divide, available on Barclays Live or on barclays.com slash IB. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on The Flip Side. For more insights on this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com slash IB.